Now on the KYMM Morning Show is uh, Superintendent of Schools, Dr. Matt Hillman. Uh, Dr. Hillman, good morning. Thank you so much for coming in. Good morning, Jeff. Great to see you as always. You had a uh, uh, school board meeting last night, a lot of things discussed. I want to start off by talking about graduation rates. That's been in the news this week. Uh, And, uh, of course, uh, on a statewide level, and Northfield has their own private graduation rate. I shouldn't say private. Uh, It's uh, public, yes. Yeah, it is public. But uh, uh, let's talk about the graduation rates, I think they're like 83, 84%, something like that, statewide. Statewide. Yep, statewide. statewide. Northfield's uh, got that beat by quite a bit. Yeah, so the uh, Jeff, the Minnesota Department of Education is releasing uh, graduation data from the class of 2022 today, so that's important. It's always about a year out. It takes some time for them to sort all of that data and to make sure they understand who has graduated because um, you know, students can continue to graduate into the summer, so just making sure that they have all of that data uh, is important. And so the statewide uh, average was 83.6% of students graduated. And Northfield, you know, going back to 2016, um, you know, we have been at or above that right around that 95 to 98%. And of course, every year it depends upon the number of students, a cohort size can make a difference in what that percentage of students who graduate uh, on time are. And so this year, uh, again, right about that 96 percentage rate, which is technically 95.9%, beating the state average by uh, 12 plus points, uh, which we expect in Northfield. And so once you hit that 95% and above and you're consistently hitting it like we have been, you know, over the last several years, you're going to see a little bit up, a little bit down, a little bit up, a little bit down each year just based on the cohort size. So what the story is for us at Northfield High School is that um, we are really looking at that part of saying that um, we have a good system to help almost every student graduate on time. And then we have systems also that can help students graduate you know, after their four years is up. So I think a lot of people listening might think, well, they don't graduate high school, that that's just it. But you know, we're allowed to provide services for students beyond the age of 18, and we're able to help them uh, with their education. So the Area Learning Center can uh, continue to help them. Uh, we also have some programming where we can help students with G- um, GEDs and things like that. So graduation can take a, a number of different ways. Uh, we have some great supports in this community. So hitting above that 95%, you know, going for several years is really uh, is really a testament to our staff. Uh, to our students, to our families for coming together to make sure that kids graduate on time. Now, we all – go ahead, Jeff. Yeah, I was going to ask you, a lot has been made of what's been called the education gap, mm-hmm. which is achievement levels between uh, white students, the Caucasians, and students of color and different minorities. Have you – does your research have information on that as well? Uh, absolutely. Now, there – the state will suppress reporting any results for demographic groups that have fewer than a certain number of students. So in Northfield, the the uh, demographic group that we t- typically report uh, is our Hispanic graduation rate. And so Northfielders know that you know a couple of decades ago, this was a graduation rate that we were not proud of, that we were not supporting our Hispanic friends and neighbors to the level that we expected. Uh, the torch programs uh, was started to help make sure that these first generation student college students you know first generation graduating high school students had additional support we know that story it's a nationally renowned program and when you look at the hispanic graduation rate at northfield high school that's the graduation rates that we're talking about uh, we have been above 90 percent since 2018 uh, in the class of 22 22 2022 94.7 percent 
of our Hispanic gradu- students graduated on time from Northfield High School. So um, above that 90% mark, you know, nearly at that 95% mark. So uh, really, we have reduced that gap. Of course, there's still always more work to do. Uh, but that is the demographic group that is most often reported uh, here in Northfield. I, th- I think another important group to take a look at is also our free and reduced uh, free and reduced price lunch cohort of students. So students who qualify for a free or reduced lunch, uh, again, we have been above 90% on that demographic since 2017. Um, this year with 92.3% of students who qualified for free or reduced lunch graduating from Northfield High School in four years. So some really uh, good data for Northfield High School and really proud of the work that they have done and really proud of the work our ALC has done to help students uh, continue if they're not going to be able to graduate in four years uh, to be able to continue helping them with their education to make sure that they do get to that graduation mark. Superintendent Matt Hillman is uh, with us. Uh, this is the time of year you talk about budgets and such as well. What went on with the budgets last night? So for folks listening, we present the budget over a series of meetings. Uh, there are several budgets that we present. Many people think about the general fund. That's the largest fund. It's the most flexible. And that's the one that we've been talking about the last few months about making reductions uh, within the general fund budget. But we have other budgets that are separate, that are highly regulated in how those dollars are spent. And last night we had two presentations uh, about funds like that. So Stephanie Strummy, our amazing child nutrition director, uh, presented the child nutrition budget. Uh, she is She is casting forward really looking at how the recent legislation that Governor Walls signed into law uh, are serving students free meals. So K-12 students beginning next year will have access to a free breakfast and a free lunch every day. That's every student. It's the Free Meals Act that the legislature signed and Governor Walls signed into law about a month ago probably. So as she is looking forward with her budget, there's some of that that's going to potentially change where some of that uh, funding comes from. Uh, the good news is is that the child nutrition budget is in good shape. They are above the goal that we have of 14%, right around that 14% uh, in reserve. The things that are challenging uh, our child nutrition department in terms of projecting or predicting their budget, everyone who's listening knows that there's volatility in food prices, and we know the CPI has been around 8%. And what we understand is that while food price, most food prices are intended to or are expected to be maintained, uh, protein, uh, you know, foods that involve protein apparently are going to go up by around 10% is what uh, the experts are telling uh, our child nutrition department. So that along with we, that this is one area where we have continued to have some difficulty in staffing. And so anyone listening, if you want to make a great difference for kids, even as just a substitute child nutrition um, associate, that would be great. Go to our website. You can apply for a lot of these jobs or just a few hours a day. Uh, and it's really important that we have friendly people who care about kids to serve them these meals each day. So we continue to struggle with staffing in our child nutrition department. Uh, we're down a few people. And so every day, Stephanie is rolling up her sleeves and helping serve in, in one kitchen or another across the system. Our child nutrition staff does an amazing job of stepping up and filling in and making sure kids get what they need. But we we could use a little help. So anyone listening, you want to make a few dollars and you want to do something middle of the day, uh, check out our website. Also talked about the community education budget, Jeff. And community education budget is the one that is the most affected by the marketplace. So the, as the economy goes, so goes community education. And so during the pandemic, that program really suffered when they couldn't offer programming uh, in person. They were creative. 
Uh, but what I'm telling you is the community ed registrations are back and they're back in a big way. They are back to pre-pandemic and in some cases exceeding pre-pandemic levels. Community education involves a lot of things. It involves that enrichment programs, but it also includes our child care, early childhood family education, and some other things. So uh, Aaron Bailey, everyone who's listening you know, has heard Aaron on this show before, just a stellar leader and uh, really doing some good things. We're grateful. That's a, an example of how many child care f- facilities are really struggling with staffing. Our staffing has been stable this year with that, and we attribute a lot of that to the child, stable, child care stabilization grants that we are able to have to help maintain our staffing. So uh, both child nutrition and community education, some planned spend downs in their fund balance next year, but still in very good shape financially. Superintendent Hillman once again uh, with us. Uh, d- transportation uh, is also on the uh, agenda last night, and that is affected, will be affected by the uh, reduction in, in student levels over the course of the next decade. What was discussed there? So last year we had set a target of reducing the transportation costs by around 10% or that translates to about $350,000. And, you know, we've got a longtime business partner, uh, Benjamin Bus, just outstanding, right? Just a great service. And uh, we really felt we would be able to make efficiencies and uh, other reductions in that area that would save that those amount of dollars. And for several months, we worked really hard with Benjamin Bus, looking at every route, looking at details um, of the service with Benjamin Bus being a true community partner and trying to reduce those costs. And as it turns out, we were wrong. And we're sorry for that uh, because it turns out that we are already incredibly efficient. Other districts that are starting to make some reductions to transportation, uh, we've been doing those things for 15 years or so. So we were looking at a number of additional efficiencies uh, to try to reduce that amount of money. Uh, we are going to do some uh, other basic efficiencies that are really operational in nature things like we typically just if you rode the bus last year, we typically just rode you, you know, rolled you over and expected you'd ride the bus this coming year. Uh, this spring and this summer, we're going to ask people to opt into transportation. So to actually tell us, yes, I plan to ride the bus. Uh, and that way we are able to be more efficient with the routing. And so that's uh, an example. We're going to continue to work um, with the city on safe routes to schools and areas where we might have students be able to you know, walk as opposed to take the bus. Uh, however, um, one of the things that we had discussed to try to get to that point of being able to make that size of a reduction was considering charging a fee for families who lived within the apparent responsibility for transportation boundary, what people would have called the walk boundary. Uh, that's something that came late in the discussion. There are quite a few schools that do that, and they do it fairly successfully. We have put a pause on that discussion. Uh, just to, It's something that's late in the school year. The amount of the fee that would have to be is just something that the district and the board did not appear to be comfortable with at this point. And so we will continue to consider that for the future as an option, but we are putting a pause on that discussion right now. So we will not be charging any kind of transportation fee for folks within two miles next year. And as a district services budget, we're going to continue to look at other efficiencies and ways uh, that we are able to make those reductions over time. The good news is that we're making reductions now uh, so that we don't have a crisis. So many school districts are making cuts, Jeff, because they're in crisis right now. And we are not at that point. But if we don't take these actions, we are going to be in that case. And so we do have some flexibility of how we address some of these bigger items like transportation. So um, there won't be a fee for next year. We'll continue to consider it. And we're going to continue to look at other configurations of how we'll be able to reduce the budget to, again, we want to be sustainable uh, long term.
Let's move on to our our, uh, final topic uh, today, and that is concerning the ice arena. The city has come up with uh, plans for the uh, park and rec department in Northfield Parks over the course of the next decade or so. It's got a big price tag, uh, tens of millions, like $60, $80 million, somewhere in that range. And much of that is a new ice arena, as they've talked about, uh, and uh, much of that does... um, have uh, some uh, cooperation with the school district involved within their uh, their estimates. Uh, you, you talked about the ice arena last night. What is uh, what do you see, and what does the school board think their role in all this is going to be? Has that been clear made clear yet? So we just gave the board an update last night on discussions about where we're at with uh, trying to solve this dilemma, and it is a dilemma. The ice arena here in Northfield. Uh, hockey and ice in Minnesota, it's as Minnesotan as hot dish, right? And so I think most people expect that those opportunities are offered to the community and to our students. So the school district, of course, needs to be a partner. We've been continuing to work with the city of Northfield and a, and a private partner uh, for some time trying to solve this dilemma. And so the, the city had reported last week some as part of their parks uh, budget planning, uh, some ideas that have continued to come forward. So a couple things that I want to emphasize is that there's been some discussion about who might own such an arena, right? And what we know is clear for the school district is the school district will not own the arena. That's very clear. Um, as we move forward discussing, you know, which entity, if it, whether it's a private partner or the city, um, ends up being the owner of such a facility, that's to be determined. But we know as a school district, we will not be the owner. And we also know, just like any other lease, so we currently lease a number of spaces for our athletics. Uh, we have a lease with the Dundas Dome for our students to be able to participate in some things, especially this spring, how cold it's been, how wet it's been, that those spring teams can get started. So we use our lease levy authority uh, to be able to lease some time from the Dundas Dome. We lease the current ice arena. Uh, we lease time from the Northfield Gymnastics Club. So it is very common that we lease space for some of these specialized uh, athletic teams. So if the city were, were the private partner were to build such an arena, we would expect our lease to go up. And our well, our role is doing what we are able to commit to a longer-term lease, you know, up to 20 years or so, um, where we would, on an annual basis, lease levy uh, for our lease payment. And so what has been discussed to this point was around $300,000 a year of leasing for the school district and potentially a little bit more depending on how we handle the operational costs. But over the 20-year period of, of whomever uh, finances the construction, that would be the district's contribution over that time. So uh, I know that sometimes people look at what the total is over that time, but this would be a flat dollar amount that we would, would uh, lease on an annual basis. And of course, after the time period when the construction has been paid for, uh, that lease would be expected to go down. And so that's the strategy that we're discussing right now. I also want to be very clear, um, this is still in the discussion stage. Uh, we aren't at a point where there's been a formal proposal put together. We're continuing to work with financial advisors. Um, we're working with a legal counsel to determine all of those partnership kinds of things. I think Northfielders expect us to creatively and collaboratively solve problems, Um Ice is something I think most people expect, but they also are are, um, concerned when they hear the price tag. And so I I think that I feel we are at one of the best points since we've started this discussion, and we continue to persevere to try to find a solution. The current site is not a solution moving forward. We know that. So we'll continue to be good partners. We'll continue to look at what ways can we contribute without obviously owning it. We do expect to lease it. Um, These are the estimates at this time. Lots of discussion left to go, and of course the board would ultimately have to decide whether or not they want to enter into that lease. But 
I want to just share with people that um, the city and our private partner that we're working on this, we continue to try to look at what is the best way we can solve this and and with the least amount of impact uh, to local taxpayers to the best of our ability. So just to clear things up, uh, the city has uh, said in some of their estimates that the participation level from the school district would be about $6 million. Once again, those are uh, numbers that aren't ironclad numbers yet written in stone. So that would be $300,000 a year times 20 years. Correct. That's where that six yeah, It's a pay-as-you-go approach, basically. Yeah, pay-as-you-grow. Okay. We're out of time. We've got to move As on. always. Yeah. Thanks, Jeff. Matt, thank you so much it's for coming It's my pleasure. In. Take care. Appreciate it. Superintendent of Schools, Dr.